Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Crisis Management. I'm Alicia Sikirska. This is a show dedicated to helping businesses navigate their way through the coronavirus pandemic. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the federal government's throne speech and what the plan is for the COVID-19 pandemic recovery. We're also going to talk about the largest mall operator in the U.S. laying off 20% of its staff and what is happening with the so-called Amazon Prime bike. Also, cybersecurity threats are on the rise in Canada, particularly through the COVID-19 pandemic. We're going to break down what businesses should be thinking about when it comes to cybersecurity. To get through all this, I'm joined by Mark Satov. He is the founder of Satov Consultants and a business strategy expert, and he's here to help us find solutions for businesses that are dealing with the pandemic. Mark, September has been such a busy month. We've got lots to cover today. Jam-packed, jam-packed, and I think I'm going to get to slag a couple of my favorite brands and politicians today, so I'm looking forward to it. Okay, well, let's start with the politicians then. Oh, yeah. um, the Liberal government's throne speech was delivered by Governor General Julie Payette yesterday. Uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau also had a televised address shortly after the throne speech, but I'm just going to focus on the throne speech because what he said really was not much different from that. Um in the speech, the government outlined a broad plan for a COVID-19 pandemic recovery. It touched upon a range of issues, uh, many of which were actually part of the government's election platforms. Uh, here are just some of the big takeaways um, that I took from this speech. The goal is going to be to create 1 million new jobs. The Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy will be extended through to next summer. Uh, some other business supports, such as the Canada Emergency Business Account, will be expanded to include things like fixed costs. Um, and of course, there was lots of talk about uh, a child care action plan. Mark, there's a lot here, and we could probably spend the entire episode just trying to dissect every single little thing that was mentioned. But I want to discuss what this means for businesses and, and the COVID-19 recovery more broadly. Um, let's start with the wage subsidy. Do you think that's the right solution for businesses going forward in this pandemic? It is, but we have to be careful not to create a crutch because I think that businesses will get in the habit of having employees only when they get them paid for. Now they're the they are making they're making efforts to make it less lucrative for business. Maybe lucrative is the wrong adjective, but uh, they they won't cover as much. Uh, so I think that's a good thing. Uh, but there are lots of opinions out there. Like one that I that I saw where if you actually look at it, there's an effective tax on the revenue that you get, which is greater than it ever was before, because what happens is the more revenue you get, if you make a profit, of course, you pay the regular tax, but then you also pay the tax of not having the sues. And so it's an interesting perspective of the way you think about it. And it's similar to the CERB in the sense that we don't want to create a disincentive for business owners to go and hunt for business, right? And so mm -hmm. I think that's the danger of it. I think they need to do it now. 
I think the magnitude of the money that they're putting into some of these programs is intense. It's a very large sum of money that they're putting into it. And I think, you know, my largest, I'll say, observation uh, about the amount of money that they're putting in and where they're putting it is that if I were in charge, and again, I always say this, don't worry, I I have no ambitions and I will never be. (laughs) So you don't need to fear for the future of the country. But uh, if I were in charge, the only thing the only two things that the government of our provinces and the government uh, of our country should be thinking about is testing and schools. I, I shouldn't say the only two things, but the biggest things. Because so, I mean, do you think the 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 wage subsidy seemed to be one of the uh, few really concrete things that came out of this throne speech? Were you, I'm assuming you were looking for more. I was looking for more. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is that you say one of the few, I think it was the only concrete thing. I mean, the, uh, to help me get through the pandemic, I follow some satirical um, Twitter feeds like this hour is 22 minutes. And what they said is, you know, they made a great throne speech. They made a million commitments to make a million more commitments. So like they talked about childcare, but they didn't say anything. They talked about net zero by 2050, but they didn't say anything. They talked about as soon as they said something, okay, they're extending it. Okay, great. And and that is good. But again, the priority, you know, and we've had six months now, uh, they need to figure out testing and they need to figure out uh, having people stay and having kids stay in school safely. And to me, I think there are two related issues there. One we're not going to solve maybe ever is I'll say the dysfunction of having a federal government system where you have a federal government and provincial governments. And so they can agree and can have the same priorities. Uh, But the second is related to the proportions of money that they're spending. And to me, you know, they're spending hundreds of billions of dollars on these subsidy programs when you add them all together. Uh, Another five or ten billion dollars added to testing to make it not only, you know, up to wherever the world is, but leading the world. And another 10 or 15 billion to the provinces to give to schools and make sure that it's given properly, I actually think would be the biggest thing that would change everybody's perception right now what's going on. So I just I was hungry for more of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did seem like uh, those details, are, the throne speech usually is a very general uh kind of outline of what the government hopes to accomplish. But um, particularly as we're in a pandemic, people are obviously hoping for more and we'll see what comes next. It does seem though that at least for now, the government is has avoided an election. They've introduced some legislation today and it seems like the NDP will be on board. So well, what choice do they have? Don't have to deal with that. I mean, I'm not a political <laughs> yeah. analyst. I'm a business analyst, but what choice does the NDP have? I mean, if there was an election, all that would happen is their standing would go from insignificant to really insignificant. So I'm not sure they want an election, right? So I think Trudeau actually does want an election. That's my guess, because despite the conservatives rising power, I think Trudeau wins a majority if he wins now. And so I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. Well, (laughs) well, let's um, stay focused on business topics and move on to our next one. And that is, uh, I mean, malls have been hit very hard by the pandemic with many retailers closing locations across the country. So this week, Brookfield Properties, one of the largest mall operators in the U.S., announced uh, it's planning on cutting 20% of staff in its retail division. Not a totally surprising move when you look at their most recent financial results. Uh, they lost $1.5 billion in the second quarter and collected just 34% of rent from malls. 
So in that case, I mean, the job cuts do seem inevitable when you look at that rent collection figure, but it's not going to solve that rent problem. So, I mean, what do you think needs to happen next for Brookfield or is this just going to be the challenge for the foreseeable future? It's the challenge and the, the other challenge is the percentage of the mall square footage that Brookfield and Simon Property Group together own. And so when you think about their move to buy JCPenney, which we talked about mm-hmm. in a bit more detail, it's not a bad move. They're not really diversifying their risk, but there are not too many options to diversify their risk in the way they're consolidating it, but trying to manage it more proactively so that, you know, it happens by them instead of to them. You know, when you look at it, uh, if you believe the numbers uh, we were trying to verify today, if there are a thousand or twelve hundred sort of closed malls uh, in the U.S. and those two companies own 35 percent of them or 30 percent of them. What happens is when a company like like in any market, when somebody who owns a large percentage of the assets or the commodities in a market says they're going to sell, well, the price drops. Now, the price has already dropped. Um, so it is interesting. And they have said, which I believe them, they were planning to sell anyway. The challenge is when you're selling something, you typically also need a buyer. Uh, and so, you know, I do believe there's a place for malls uh, in the future. Uh, I think higher end malls specifically are well run, well designed uh, malls. There's definitely a place for them. Uh, the question is, does the value drop? Uh, I think the other thing is, you know, despite some of the doom and gloom, I actually thought that uh, Dr. Fauci's remarks this week. I mean, there were some colorful discussions with Rand Paul and uh, which I'm sure were entertaining to some. But he is somebody who I consider to be relatively conservative on vaccines. And his view was that if we get approval in November, that a significant proportion, I don't know if significant is 40 or 70, will be vaccinated by uh, June of next year, right? So if you take that, and it is relevant here, don't worry. If you take that uh, and you sort of say, okay, what does that mean? And as I've talked about a lot, it means that you could put some time boundary around the crisis for a mall. And you sort of say, okay, it may, it may be, and it seems actually somewhat likely, that uh, next Christmas season would be somewhat normal in a mall. And so you could, as an owner of a large asset, buyer or current holder of a large asset with a low cost of capital, you can get your head around, okay, cut staff, trim expenses, find a way to pay the mortgage or let a few properties go as long as they're structured properly, which of course they are because it's Brookfield. Um, and then actually we should be in a decent position in a year. So we've just had a one-year holiday of rental revenue. We've taken a loss, but money doesn't cost anything. And in a year we'll be back to normal. So I, I think there's, it's not all, it's not all loss, but it remains to be seen who's going to buy those 15% of properties. Right. And I mean, that would having a vaccine that's going to help solve, you know, the traffic that you're seeing within malls. But by that point, so many retailers may have already, you know, close their locations. What do you do with There'll all that ones. space? There'll be new ones. You think that there will be enough retailers to to fill those space? Even, I mean, in particular, those not the high end malls, but the the mid to well, I think, the I think they C have level, they, whatever they call them. I think they have. To, I mean, malls are like office buildings. They call them A malls and B malls and C malls. And so I think they need to think about what to do. And I think we've seen that a lot of the middle malls and the B and, e, and for sure the C malls are going away because it's hard to justify them. But Yorkdale, uh, I mean, today is obviously in trouble, but Yorkdale is doing better and better and better. And for those outside Toronto, that's uh, our largest mall here, one of the largest, uh, one of the most productive malls in North America. Uh, and so it's the same thing I say about the restaurant uh, industry. Yes, it is possible that a significant percentage of the current players will not be able to weather the storm. 
but that doesn't mean that we've forgotten how to retail. And it doesn't mean that uh, humans will never want to go to a store again just because they've gotten out of the habit. I'll remind you uh, that we talked just two days ago about the uh, drop in e-commerce sales as a percentage of sales in mm. July, as if, as if somebody like me predicted just that thing, as if. I think you just want to mention that because you were right. I am right. <laughs> That's why you're that bringing that up again. I'm, I'm insecure. And when I'm right, I have to remind everybody. So there you go. Okay. Um, before we get to the fix, there is one more topic I want to talk about. And that is this uh, Amazon Prime bike. Echelon Fitness announced this week that it was going to start selling the X-Prime Smart Connect bike, a machine that was developed in collaboration with Amazon. It's what they said in their release. And they were selling at $499. That is a steep discount from how much a Peloton bike goes for, which is about $2,500, I believe. As soon as the Prime bike news came out, Peloton's stock went down, falling as much as 6.7%. That's what happens when the biggest e-commerce company in the world gets into what you're selling. But there was a twist to this story, and that was that this Echelon bike may not have been actually developed in collaboration with Amazon. Amazon told the company to stop selling the bike and that it was not an Amazon product or related to Amazon Prime. Um, Echelon's original press release is no longer available online. Hmm. It's a bit of a mess, but I think it must have served as a wake-up call for Peloton. I mean, what do you think this shows about that whole uh, fitness, working out from home industry? There's so much to talk about. Could we just spend the rest of the show on this story? There's so many different angles. I so love this story. I just find it like very entertaining. Okay, so let, <laughs> let's first talk about... Uh, well, I'll first answer your question. Uh, the at-home fitness industry, uh, I think it's one of those things where we will see, it will go back somewhat because I think there's uh, a reason that people like to congregate uh, for fitness inspiration and a whole bunch of things. Uh, and I think people like the outing. And so I don't think that the at-home fitness industry will be as robust uh, in terms, if you measure it in terms of out, the share of hours that are done at home versus in a gym after the pandemic is over. Um, but it certainly has hit an inflection point and they will benefit from growth there. So I think it's, I think it's a great space to be in. So that's, that's one thing for sure. Let's quickly talk about the game of high stakes poker that Echelon, whoever they are, uh, had with Amazon. Of course, they're going to lose. What we don't know and what we never know, may never know is what happened behind the scenes. My guess is they were developing it with Amazon. They had some branding deal. And my guess is Amazon at a certain point turned the screws and Echelon said, uh, no, 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 we're going to have the deal that we thought we had last week. And Amazon said, no, we're not. And Echelon said, oh, yeah, and oh, yeah, and guess who won? So I think I think that's sort of a side story. I think, uh, like I said, I'm always, I'm always entertained to watch uh, people think that they could, you know, beat David and Goliath. And, and Goliath, in this case, of course, is going to win. But I think the other interesting aspect of this, I'll say, part of the industry is the difference between Peloton and Echelon and the way luxury plays in a segment. So Peloton has come out and said they think they're going to sell 100 million bikes. I don't know if you've seen that stat in any of the uh, stories or maybe it's on in their investor uh, relations. 100 million bikes, okay? So if we believe that in uh, a lot of hardware markets, that the luxury segment is going to be 5%. We did, we checked this morning, the watch market and the car market, they both are hovering around 5%. I'm going to just say for now, let's say luxury gets to be five, maybe sometimes 10% of a, a, a market. 
Well, that would mean that the world is going to buy uh, at one stage a billion or two billion of these types of bikes. And I think we all don't need to analyze that much to say that's absurd. So, but what I think is interesting as a dynamic is that Peloton has come out as the leader and they have created the market and they've created a price mm -hmm. umbrella, right? And so that, what happens when that happens is somebody else comes in and says, you know what? I'm gonna give you just about what they give you for a fraction of the cost. And I, this show is not to be a commercial for my consulting company, but here we go. McKinsey does that for me. They created the market, they charge an absolute fortune and players like us come in and say, why are you gonna pay $3 million to get a study done? We're gonna charge you 700 grand, it's gonna be the same thing. And so that this happens in so many markets. And that to me is the interesting dynamic to watch sort of who gets share. Mm -hmm. And then the share is gonna split again between the people who have hardware and software or apps and the people who just have apps. And you sort of see Amazon and Apple for now are saying we just have apps because Amazon said well, we don't want this bike until they decide they want another one, by the way. Um, and there, Amazon and Apple win because uh, they have everything. They have integration. They know who you are. They have pricing. Uh, they have staying power. They could buy market share. They and it's do the brand, right? I think I think that's what Peloton has the brand recognition right now. They are the leader in the space. But as soon as you hear Amazon coming out with its own bike, I mean, there was immediately a lot of interest. I mean, it's a price point for right. sure. But the fact that it's Amazon or that maybe one day it'll be Apple. Think for sure. That well, here's the thing. Brings you already have, and by the way, I don't understand why people buy, wear an Apple Watch. I think the whole thing is absurd. But for those of you who are absurd, I've offended everybody now, uh, you already have the Apple Watch. So you may as well throw the fitness app on it. You're already a prime member. You may as well throw the application on it. And I think Peloton's struggle will be to find the niche of people for whom they would rather spend $2,500 on a $500 bike than $500 on a $500 bike and get their program, which they will market to be superior. And for sure, there will be a segment. I just don't think it's going to be 100 million people. I don't know. Unless they're counting like spokes on the wheel. Is, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> yeah, how they get to maybe. 100 million. <laughs> Okay, Mark, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll get your advice and dig into some of the issues that businesses are dealing with. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now, this uh, pseudo-launch of the so-called Prime Bike is perhaps not the best example, but an example of a product launch that is really tailored to trends that we are seeing in the midst of this pandemic. So I want to talk about launching products in the pandemic. A recent RBC survey of small businesses found that the top priority over the next 12 months for small businesses is refining core products and services. That's ahead of even contingency planning for future risks. So, I mean, we've seen many businesses uh, launch COVID-19 specific products and other companies have actually set aside plans for uh, product launches that were planned for throughout this year. So, Mark, uh, when it comes to launching a product, what do you think is the best approach to making sure that it goes smoothly? Um, 
perhaps not like the way the Echelon launch went. Um, and what are the best strategies you should be looking at when it comes to launching a new product in the midst of a pandemic? Okay, before I go into my uh, consultant style bucketed list, I do want to say, I actually don't think this is terrible for Echelon because who knew about Echelon? Obviously they would get greater sell through uh, if they point. were a partner with Amazon. <laughs> but they would also get crushed like a bug, like everybody else who deals with Amazon. So I'm not sure it was terrible for them uh, in the long run. So as I was saying, so I, I, consultants like to make lists of things. Uh, and uh, I had made a list of four different types of product launches because I think your strategy for uh, product launch depends on which bucket you're in. So bucket number one is you're actually launching a product to address the challenges of COVID, the specific health challenges of COVID. So you're making masks, uh, and by the way, I, I think you got to be careful there. I think that the market is long saturated, commoditized, and there are a million companies making masks, but you could be making a ridiculous overpriced Louis Vuitton mask, or you could just be creating <laughs> a cute mask that uh, I found on the internet uh, that's a little bit more comfortable and stylish, or you could be a brewery uh, making hand sanitizer or a car company with an absurd CEO uh, that makes electric cars making ventilators. Uh, or companies that have wearables that have turned them into sort of proximity alerts. So there's a bucket of products that is about, you have a solution for the crisis. You are here to help people. So there's a branding angle and the biggest issue there is speed, right? And so uh, in the product development world and in the startup world, everybody talks about MVP. Uh, that means minimum viable product. And the way that people do it today is you get the minimum viable product out there as quickly as possible and you adjust on the fly. And today, the demand for products to address this crisis is so intense that that's even a better strategy than it normally is. So the key there, I mean, obviously you have to have a quality product and if it's a health product. You have a whole bunch of concerns, uh, regulations and safety, but notwithstanding that, MVP, get it out quickly. Bucket two is actually the bucket we were just talking about, which is related to the crisis in the sense that people are spending more time online and spending more time at home, but it's not about the crisis. So fitness at home, uh, apps uh, that people are using more, uh, you know, slippers, I don't know, like things that people wear at home and they're hanging around. I never wear slippers, by the way. Do you wear slippers? Um, I'm actually wearing slippers right now. Oh, awesome. So yes. There you go. I, I feel like that was too personal a question, but here we go. Um, yeah, but like know. the first time in forever. Anyways, okay, but I, listen, continue on I, bucket two. <laughs> I support you. Um, and then have you adapted your product offering for COVID? So restaurants being the prime example there, uh, because you sold something, but the way you sold it, uh, you cannot do. And to some extent, even my business, you could say we have an adapted product offering. We've just kicked off a project uh, with a company that is across Canada you know, we would love to be visiting their stores and their office. We just can't. We have to be virtual. So it's, an, you know, we've adapted our product offering. I mean, Mark, our our show is probably an Hello. example of that. We're both broadcasting that. from, yeah. Like, yeah. I think it's a perfect example. We're broadcasting live from my living room, your office. There you go. There you go. But I'm not a product. Don't objectify me. Okay. So, um, uh, and then, and then last bucket is, uh, we're having fun today, huh? And then our last bucket is you were launching a product anyway, and is this a good time to do it or should you delay? And I think there the considerations are, you know, you need to make sure that you have enough attention on the product. And so some people will consider delaying, but I would say be careful delaying because if you delay, you may actually find yourself delaying very long. And so we, we found a couple of examples there where you had like Maple Leaf has launched this 50-50 uh, 
um, product where it allows people to eat less meat. By the way, I don't actually know the details, but I'm assuming it's just less meat content or, uh, but anyway, that's just an example. So they obviously made the decision. We were going to launch this anyway. And, you know, in the food business or CPG in general, you put so much effort into product research, development, uh, fine tuning, testing, gearing for manufacturing. Uh, you don't want to then get to the end. You have to have a pretty good reason when you've spent X million dollars for a company that size or a relative amount for small businesses. You have to have a pretty good reason to say we're going to delay this. And when your board or if it's your, yourself and you know your investors or yourself, you say we're going to delay it and they say, well, how long? And you say, I don't know. So I, I think the consideration there is, you know, is it going to be almost as good as it was otherwise going to be, in which case you should probably go ahead or if it's going to be a flop, well, then, OK, don't throw good money after bad. So. Mm -hmm. So when you if you decide to go ahead, like Maple Leaf did, I mean, for them, I know sustainability has been a huge part of their focus and that they have been doing those, uh, the, you know, Beyond Meat style products. So it, it makes sense for them to go forward. But if for if you're a business that is going to go ahead with a product launch in the midst of this pandemic, uh, I mean, what are your, what what advice do you have in terms of marketing, getting your message well, out, uh, what, what are the things you keep have to keep in the, mind here? The that I was going to say, the, the thing is really, as you said, it's it's mostly about if it's a product, if, if it's bucket four product, let's say, where it's, it's a, a product that is not going to have diminished demand because of COVID, but also not increased demand because of COVID. So, you know, uh, maple leaf food would be a good example. Um, I would say the marketing mix is the biggest consideration because you will not be able to do a lot of the things that you would otherwise do. By the way, that may not be a bad thing. So one of the things that, again, depending on this wouldn't be one, but a lot of product launches uh, are supported by events, right? So PR people mm -hmm. uh, do a lot of digital stuff and do a lot of new stuff, but they also organize big events, promotional events. And, you know, uh, that may be something that you can't do. So I, I think that, most of it is the product mix. If you if you're satisfied that you're in bucket four, where demand is not greater or less because of the crisis, then it's mostly about marketing mix. Uh, and I'm I would say as long as you're on top of digital marketing and you have the right support if you need it, I'm not that fussed about it. In other words, I think you could figure your way through it. It's more to me about making sure you know which bucket you're in and acting in accordance given the bucket. And then again, if you're in bucket four, just market appropriately. Yeah, yeah, and find a make sure you find a creative way right. to market that product virtually, which people have businesses have been really good at doing through this pandemic, For sure. as we've seen. And by the way, people, I know there's tons of content out there digitally today, but what's amazing is people are gobbling it up. Pardon the pun with maple leaf, but. People, people are hungry for the digital content. And so you don't need to worry as much about digital fatigue because people are really uh, mm -hmm. heating it up. I was going to yeah, say again. All right. For sure. Um, well, speaking of digital, this is a good transition to yeah. our next topic um, because the COVID-19 pandemic has accelerated many trends and it's also meant that cybersecurity attacks are on the rise. The Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre has repeatedly warned Canadians of online scams related to the COVID-19 pandemic that have been on the rise since March. And at the same time, with more people working from home, spending more time online, there are more opportunities and vulnerabilities that can be exposed through cyber attacks. Um, as cybersecurity challenges are increasing, it's becoming something that more and more businesses need to be thinking about and prioritizing. So Mark, 
let's talk about how they should be approaching cybersecurity. Is now the time to spend more on oh, yeah. cybersecurity? Absolutely. I mean, you you look at it and you think the largest businesses obviously have big IT departments. Uh, they outsource some, they insource some, they have uh, a CIO and a CTO. They're sometimes separate people. They have departments that are just around cybersecurity and yet they get hacked, right? And so if they can't figure it out, uh, you know, there may be the odd person who runs a very small business who happens to be very sophisticated. My number one message, if you're a small business and you're thinking about cybersecurity, outsource this. And when I say outsource, I, I mean, don't try and figure it out and decide which version of Norton uh, antivirus you're going to buy, right? Like get an IT provider, uh, get a large one, spend a lot of money and make sure that if something does happen and it may happen despite you spending a lot of money, you could look at yourself and your customers and tell them that you did everything you could. And your customers is a really important aspect of this. So we, we I mean, I, I often use my business as an example. You know, we're consultants, and so we often handle large data sets for our clients, right? Because we're doing analysis on their data, right? So sometimes, like if we're dealing with a Canadian bank, we have to sign, you know, a 7,000-page document about all our IT practices. Uh, but for other clients as well, they want to know that we're taking action. And so we are a small business. We don't just figure it out ourselves. We have an IT provider who says what we should do to make sure that all our data is safe. And we have insurance that we've just bought. Because we just don't feel comfortable that it's 100% foolproof, whatever we are doing. Uh, so it's important to buy insurance. It's important to outsource it. Uh, and in a way, you have to sort of assume that something is going to happen. So do everything you can to prevent it. But you also need a backup plan. What are you going to tell your customers when uh, a ransomware attack has happened uh, and you have to spend $80,000 uh, to get your data back if you're a very small business and you're not insured, right? So again, first of all, get insured, make sure you have the right insurance. Uh, but what what are you going to do? Mark, this this all sounds expensive. <laughs> not just, I mean, it, but is that is this just something cost that you business. need to spend the money? Cost okay, of, so cost you're saying it's business. worth it. it. It's worth it because uh, the cost of not doing it is very significant. And, you know, there is a market. And so, uh, the market is efficient. There, it's, there's not just one player to go to for cybersecurity insurance. There's not just one IT provider. It's just one of the things that make you say, uh, don't save money. Don't try and go smaller. Go bigger. Um, because if the ransomware attack happens, I mean, it's very scary. I had a client who had a ransomware attack. Uh, it was in the beginning of COVID because we were doing an assignment for them and we couldn't email them for four days because their entire company was shut down. They were they're $200 million company and sales, uh, and they were crippled, right? Uh, and they have an IT department. They know what they're doing. And so they probably wish they had spent a little bit more. Uh, I don't remember on the insurance front. I think they were well insured. Uh, but yeah, it's the cost of doing business today. It's kind of like, you know, the genie's out of the bottle. Like we are in a digital world, right? And people disagree about the, the pace and the, the amount of this, but we're there. And there's no way to prevent it. I just want to say one other thing about this. It's funny how all the people who do these phishing emails cannot get the grammar right. Like if they could get the grammar right, I think they'd be like, I read these things. And I'm like, if you could, it's like they have the same spell check as the people who send like the far right propaganda. Like if you could just construct a sentence, I may fall for it. Anyway, I just, I just had to say that. Well, it's, it's a good thing that you haven't clearly. Not as far or at as least I know. You have insurance. Not yet. Yeah, that's true. 
Yeah, it does seem, I mean, every week there's a new headline about security breaches. This week there was something at Shopify. I mean, we'll we'll see what next week brings. And CRA calls on my cell phone. The only people who call me more are the duck oh, cleaning yeah. guys. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, but Mark, that is all the time that we have for today's episode. Uh, if you want to rewatch this episode or get the latest news about the economic impact of the coronavirus pandemic, please check out Yahoo Finance Canada's website. We are also a podcast. You can download the latest episode of the Crisis Management Podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you have any questions for Mark or feedback about the show, please feel free to get in touch and email me. I'm at alicja at yahoofinance.com. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>